And so I settle in, refusing to leave the hotel room. None of the sounds and lights and churning life outside the window can lure me away. I have no desire to be distracted. A little voice inside of my head reminds me to be prepared for all eventualities, so I take a few moments to gather my possessions and stage my exit. Then I wrap my silk kimono around my body and settle myself onto the unremarkable bed. For one last time, I simply breathe and wait for Alistair's return, waiting for the moment that's speeding towards us, the one that matters most. I've feared its arrival since the very beginning, even before I could grasp the reality of its existence. Every time I've begun a game since, I still taste the same thing, and it still tastes like dread. I suppose that for some it could taste like delight, like a mother bird who pushes her baby out of the nest right on time and proudly watches them fly away. Then the mother reclaims her life. What delight indeed. She had to want something more than feeding those endlessly open, helpless little mouths, right? At least sometimes. I do. And I will reclaim my life. But just because I wouldn't have it any other way isn't enough to make it taste good. The end is near, but instead of a light at the end of the tunnel, I can see only darkness. The impending fracture of the endless freight train of Alistair and Alice is looming over me piece of me already looks forward to what comes after. Waking and breathing. Wondering what my day will become. Dreaming about the new sights and adventures that await me. I'll be allowed to return to my strange inner world, where I interact with all that surrounds me with detached curiosity. I might spend a day watching ants at the park, and another becoming one with the clouds that visit my garden view. It's up to me. I'll no longer be tethered by the invisible thread of the other. The fear of cutting a thread like that, though, is what kept me beside Richard for far too long. It's not as simple as a fear of the unknown. It's more nuanced, and it's full of loss. Something is about to be over. The fear of living through the very last time. I remind myself that this is how life is born. The limit on our time and the endings make every solitary moment as precious as diamonds. A singular pearl in a pool of empty shells. One must have nothing to be able to appreciate something, and two must be apart from one another in order to experience the joy of reunion, no matter what lifetime or form in which that may occur. So I square my shoulders and breathe into solidity pulling a reserve of strength from my roots and from the depths of my gut. When I'm as immovable as a mountain, I retreat into my mind, landing in that place where time stands still and the air is clear and sweet. That air breathes cool through the imaginary window frames and the sunshine that it brings with it sparkles across the polished wooden floors. It twinkles outside the windows, too, on peaks of snow-covered mountains so high that it's blatantly obvious. Here, there is nowhere to go and nothing to do but this. It's a place where you could easily wait in peace for arrival of the end of the world. It's here where I will prepare myself to hold the blade in my hand, bracing for the snicker-snack of the cut I will make, signaling to all that I've severed the tie and fulfilled my responsibility. I will need to hide my pain in our goodbyes. Alistair will need my permission, by whatever means necessary, in order to rid himself of this game.
and me. I cannot allow for retreat or for quarter. We will leave this place untangled. Safe for now, I conjure a stream of memories and allow my days and nights with Alistair to trickle their way across me. The first time I saw him, and the way he looked at me, the way he looked at the world. Comparing it to what I can see now, a man who owns every piece of himself, makes my chest swell with pride and my heart start coursing with an overwhelming current of love. My body positively trembles with the resonance and visibly demonstrates how strong my affinity is for this creature I know as Alistair. The pictures and moments speed up as my shaking builds. The way he smiles when he's embarrassed. The way he puts his napkin in his lap at a restaurant. The way he sleeps in the darkest hours before dawn, tangled and tied up in my sheets with his hair mussed over his sweaty forehead. I can feel his hands on me and hear his voice in my ear. I can smell him, his cologne and the scent of his heat, the musk underneath his arms, the smell of him beside me waking up in the morning. All the ways he tastes, his calm, sweet and tart his tongue against mine when he's been drinking, the way the skin under his balls makes my mouth water, salt on his neck after he's been for a run, and his lips so bitter after his morning coffee. All of my senses caress every detail they've acquired and cataloged in the storehouses of my memory. When we're untangled, they'll naturally fade from the forefront and each of these individual memories will become more and more difficult to pull from my vaults. So I pay homage to them now, running them through my fingers one last time, remembering how his beard scruff burns the sensitive skin on my face and how his soft hands can still leave my pussy raw, memorizing the feeling of his fingers grazing my temples when he thinks I'm fast asleep. That one is my favorite. I stay there for a moment, in the most private of places, with the most private of thoughts. And it's from within that memory that I hear a click at the very real door that lies next to my very real body. It's time to go back to the present moment. Bile rises in my throat as I drag myself away from my dream, away from the safety and the bittersweet nostalgia of reminiscing. Alistair has returned. It's time to begin the ending. I open my eyes to see his face illuminated and shadowed all at once. His grin is evident as he steps through the door, but I watch for one last time as he wipes it off, fixing his expression into something more neutral, mellowing his energy on command. It reminds me of the thin layer of guile he unconsciously held across himself when we first met. That skin of inauthenticity can now be moved on and off with Alistair's will, for his own purposes instead of bending to the whims of insecurities. A glimmer of pride rushes up my spine. When his eyes connect with mine, I feel a bell begin to toll somewhere deep in my groin. With every chime, I know our final chapter proceeds further towards its conclusion. I'll grow used to this feeling with the ones that come after this. The gravitas that invects the room. Simplicity growing layers of meaning at an exponential rate. Come to think of it, I suppose that any riveting finale accomplishes exactly that. Good for us. We're right on track. 
Alistair finds me exactly where he left me, lying on top of the bed, awaiting his return. I'm naked underneath that same silk kimono I always wear. He knows it now like the back of his hand. In fact, every part of his hands know this robe. His cock knows it too, biblically, in fact. He's worn it at least a few times and sullied it too many to count. Even now in the dim light of this room, I can see a certain crusty spot on the front panel in between two of the flowers that is most definitely the work of Alistair. The sight of it makes me smile, knowing that I'll take a part of him with me when I go. The trail that he's left in his way. Alistair reaches out to me, pulling me up towards him, finally allowing his own smile to crush his face. It overpowers any resistance I might offer, making my own smile grow within the melancholy and defying the ennui that surrounds us. I got it, Alice. I know he expects me to explode with delight. He hasn't thought far enough ahead to what this means for his life and for us. I know he'll get there soon enough, but... Right now, he's balls deep and rejoicing about getting the thing he always wanted. That's a consequences be damned kind of place. I hope that he never gets the chance to ask me to come along. I already know that isn't our destiny, and I would hate to have to tell him no. I don't like to say those sorts of things out loud. Things like, this is the end of our path, and you are not for me. I press my mouth to his until my pockets are emptied of every morsel of positivity that I could gather from within. Our lips are hungry for one another and tongues and heat are everywhere. Alistair drops me back down to the bed and I can feel that undeniable force of his encase me as he begins to devour me. He tugs at my pussy lips with his mouth, trying to draw out more and more of Reg lapping at my tits until they're pink and swollen and splotchy, all trying to get one more taste of the man that had had me before. I laugh, loudly, sounding exactly like a little girl, delighted with the hijinks of her precious new kitten. It's an intentional choice. Alistair loves it when I laugh at his pathetic behavior. And right now he's searching for a snack like he's a hungry dog who roams the streets. As expected, the sound of my laugh swells his cock up to full size. I look down and see it standing at attention underneath his dress pants, tenting them. Unlatching his belt buckle and zipper, I drop them to the floor. Peeling his shirt off his body, I step back and take in the magnificent view. Alistair, clad in nothing more than my own silk thong. He looks so fucking good. I start mocking him, demonstrating the absurdity of his desperation by lapping at his nipples and diving underneath his balls with a similarly crazed fervor. I twist myself into knots begging for more, communicating my disdain all the while, like I'm a mean girl and he's just the geek at my feet. Instead of his cock withering under my scorn, it pumps up and bounces against him. As it stands taller still, I can feel something in the air shift, but... Alistair throws me down, pushing his head between my legs and burying it into my cunt, and I lose track of the change happening around us. My hands grip at the side of his head, grinding him into me as I ride against his face. Pulling himself loose and snapping the cyclical currents of our usual merry-go-round, Alistair suddenly does something entirely new. 
he orders me to fetch some more cum for him. Now, I play coy at first. You want me to call Reg and try and get a driver over here? Just a whisper of a smile. I'm testing him. No, Alice. I said, go get me some more cum. Wherever. However. Show me how good of a girl you can be. That's interesting. So I push a little harder. Testing again and following my intuition. Sounds like you just want me to prove how little you mean to me. To show you that I don't actually need you. Or that pathetic excuse for a cuck. You want to see the proof. And taste it. You're just another groveling bitch at my crotch. Right, Alistair? When he replies, his voice doesn't waver and his strength doesn't falter. That's exactly right, Alice. Good girl. Go downstairs and get wallowing. But do try not to forget me while you're down there in the muck. After all, this groveling bitch of yours is also a fucking man. And that man understands damn well that the less he waits, the less he's actually needed. So go on, bitch. Show me the truth of us. Once and for all. Nothing in his face commands reproach. Nothing makes me doubt that I will indeed follow where he leads. This is our path and I am his for as long as we walk together. No matter what Alistair asks of me. So I agree. Tying him up on the bed to wait and attaching his hands to the side table drawer pulls with a pair of stockings I have in my bag. I leave him stretched in such a way that he couldn't possibly touch his cock while he waits for me to come back. Leaning into the game now, I slap his balls and laugh. Then I reattach the cock ring around his swollen member. He winces as I tighten it around him. You mean so little to me, Alistair. The words just slipped out. I can hear them echoing around the room. They're necessary, but I'm not sure why, so... I just let my mouth keep moving, allowing that wave to take us wherever it wants us to go. I don't give a fuck about that sad little cock of yours, Alistair. You already know that. And when I walk downstairs, you're going to finally see why. I can get myself taken care of by any of the men that I find there. And to me, every single one of them is preferable to you. He sits there while I rave, smiling confidently at me in my crusty old panties. What an exercise in contradictions. I drop my kimono to the floor, replacing it with a slinky black slip from my bag. As it pours down my body, it catches my hard nipples and caresses every curve. When it moves against me as I walk, you can see the silhouette of my full form shining through the backlight. In this dress, I flow and I glow. I give a little wink to Alistair when I shut the door behind me and begin heading towards the elevator. While I may be unaccustomed to following his instructions, I decide that it's an entertaining enough prospect. At least I know I can get the job done. And I can do it well. There's a piece of me that's always waiting to feel like a dirty whore playing bitch to someone else. It wants a taste of the medicine that I feed him. But taking part in this place, in this specific way, is such a backwards folded contradiction that it tastes sweet and bitter all at once. I can feel my pussy dripping down my inner thigh in reply, and as the elevator drops to the ground, I shun my reflection in favor of the droplet 
that's creeping its way down my thigh and past my hem. It winds across my calf and around my ankle, reaching its way towards my bare feet on the cold, polished floor. No one is in the elevator with me right now, and that's a good thing, because this is the tendril that's going to draw my destiny towards me, sneaking its way out into the ether to catch me a choice bit of prey. To be honest, it's typically fairly easy to get laid when you're a girl. Even easier when you're considered attractive by most modern standards. Getting laid has never been the hard part. Finding love, support, and kindness in the midst of the dumpster fire is the real challenge. Lucky for me, my current job has nothing to do with any of these ideals. It's all about finding a little bit of filth to paint myself with. As quickly as possible, and no matter the source. So where else would I start with the hotel bar? It's still fairly early in the grand scheme of the drinking game, after all, and that's some fortuitous timing. I'm sure to find at least one man there who's been up all night. Reluctant to call the evening over yet? Still searching for something inexplicable with that bleary energy of one who can't quite give up the ghost. An easy score that desperation simply oozes off of and one that I'm guaranteed to be able to walk away from without any attached strings or unforeseen complications. Entering the room in my bare feet, I pad up towards the bar and begin my scan of the crowd. I turn off my eyes, allowing them to rest and receive instead. When you let things come into your vision, you can find exactly what you're looking for. A dark-haired traveler at the end of the bar practically jumps out against the blur I just manually created. He's clearly somewhat jet-lagged, but the scotch glass in front of him shows that he's trying to force himself down into the land of Nod. The coffee mug next to his glass is an indication that another piece of him isn't quite ready to let go yet. This in-between man is perfectly suited for my mission. There's nothing else about him that I even need to know. A tricky deliverable for someone like me, who's fascinated by all the details. Nameless, faceless people don't stay that way for long in my world. But right now, this isn't my world. It's Alistair's. And for as long as we stay tangled on the board, walking our way through this final chapter, I have to follow wherever he leads. My only way out is ending the game. Resigned to my fate, I slide myself into the seat beside the man and signal to the bartender. One of each, please. The coffee and the scotch? The older bartender side-eyes me. Yes. Both. And with that, the bait is cast. The man next to me looks over approvingly. Good choice. I smile demurely, biding my time, holding the tension steady between us. First the steaming coffee, and then the scotch appear before me. I break the stillness to take a deep breath, considering each of the two cups individually. I choose the scotch and drop it down my throat in one go. I've had more than enough practice with such things, no matter what is going down. Tapping the empty glass against the bar, I turn my body towards the strange man. My coffee's a little too hot. Care to take a walk while it cools? I touch his thigh under the bar while I speak, running my thumbnail up towards his zipper. I can feel him tense underneath me. I have no doubt he assumes I'm an escort and is mentally calculating exactly how much cash he currently has on him and if he can afford to pay whatever my fee may be. 
He checks himself for only a moment, his hand moving towards his back pocket in an unconscious gesture, and apparently decides that he's flush enough to take the risk. I nod at the bartender, throwing down the cash I pulled from my wallet when I was rummaging for my slip, and tell him that I'll be back for the coffee shortly. I can tell from the shift that takes place behind his eyes, like window curtains coming down, that he couldn't care less about me now. I've been categorized as one of the generic sex workers that wander any major city. I occupy a place that he has no interest in going. This man next to me, though, is securely on the hook. Admittedly, he's misunderstanding the reality of the situation as much as the bartender, but neither of them concern me. I am a good girl when the universe wants me to be. The only thing that matters is getting back to the man that is waiting upstairs with a fresh hot delivery of a dripping little cum slut. Just like he ordered. It's almost like the good old days with that gluten-free vegetarian. As I wait for the in-between man to settle his own tab, I keep having to stop myself from looking at him too closely. I want to know if his hands are strong and his fingers are cared for. There's hair on the back of his hands, and if his wrists are small or large. Then I want to guess the things that he does with those hands and what kinds of things might happen in his mind. I want to know what color his eyes are and figure out how he looks at things both beautiful and tragic. But I don't indulge these impulses. Instead, I throw my eyes back out of focus. Deliberately again, but this time with markedly different intention. I'm wanting to catch a ride on the flow of that very same nameless, faceless sex that I've just been so easily associated with. It's not hard to do. The current's been a part of the world's collective consciousness ever since we started tracking our time. I can feel when a piece of me finds it, managing to get a grip around the flow, but another part of me resists and fights against the stream. I'm not surprised by the dichotomy. The piece inside of me that's fighting so hard is inside of all women, so every one of us that feels like a woman within knows exactly what I mean when I say this. In that current, there's a place that makes us feel like a piece of meat, like nothing but a hot orifice that men want to bury themselves into. They'll take your relief and your healing and your release, and then they'll immediately forget that the cunt that gave them those things is attached to a living, breathing human being. And she wants and needs exactly the same things that they do. I'm actually quite familiar with that feeling. I've had many who stuck their dick in me and then promptly forgot that I was a three-dimensional human being, allowed to carry contradictions. According to the dicks themselves, it can be quite the challenge, reconciling my maternal kindness and warmth with the raw sexual powerhouse of a goddess they encounter in the more deviant realms. On one side of my coin, I give and forgive freely and with equanimity and abundance. I can be meek, a soft place to land, silent even. But on the other side, I am also a wraith of destruction who can wield her golden pussy and tongue of fire as though they are the deadliest of weapons. Holding that dichotomy as one can crumble a fragile mind. Within the cracks, seeds of doubt and resistance are sown and left to fester in the time that follows. That goes for the minds of the dicks inside of me, and for my own mind, too. Every time the dissonance would lose its battle to be acknowledged as a whole, I would crack and break and burn to ashes, having to rebirth like a phoenix time and time again. It was a Sisyphean existence. 
These days I've found a better way, at least to keep my own mind from being the one that shatters into flames. I make myself big enough to hold everything, just like Alice does in Wonderland. And then I use every piece of me, at least sometimes, even the one that feels like a whore. I've had friends during my lifetime who considered themselves sex workers, and the power they derived from their job required maintaining a certain frame of mind during the act. The challenge is keeping yourself in that space unremittingly enough to constitute a formal career. And much like any career, you always run a risk of burning out. The exhaustion in this case is born from protecting a piece of yourself during the act attempting to keep it separate from the most ultimate and intimate forms of organic unions. If you can manage to do that, then you're not really having sex, are you? That loophole pulls you into the center of that necessary frame of mind. With the current already tapped and this loophole in my pocket, what I'm about to do with this man can hardly be considered sex at all. It's a job, not a pleasure. Although I suppose it could be a pleasurable job, if you got lucky, pun absolutely intended. So here I am, leading an American traveler without a name into the nearby bathroom and locking us into a stall. I'm not sure exactly how lucky I am yet, but I do know that this man will get the job done. While the man may be eager, his reflexes aren't quite as quick to pick up on the sudden shift in the winds of his fate. He brings his hands up, clumsily pinching at my tits through my slip. Makes me wince. Turning my face so he won't notice my discomfort, I send out a little prayer that this man is neither too drunk nor too self-conscious to get hard for me. It's time to retreat to a place in my head that will make my pussy drip. I want to get this over with. The action my cunt is really interested in is still locked upstairs in his hotel room. I don't let the strange man touch me much more. There's really no need for the theatrics. Slipping my dress over my head, I can hear him groan in appreciation. When I look at his face, I can see the saliva pooling on his bottom lip. His skin is flushed and emitting the noxious odor of a long night at the bar. Scotch positively pours from his pores. Thank God none of these facts are relevant. His cock is the only thing that matters. So I rip apart his pants without delay and take a moment to count my single blessing. His dick is clean. It's small, too, and clearly as inebriated as its owner, but I am a girl with skills. So I close my eyes and conjure up a mental picture positively dripping with eroticism. Searching my memories for the thrill of hands touching my body, select moments of youth shuffle past me, ending on the bathroom at the coffee shop up the street from my university. I would fuck my boyfriend in that bathroom every weekend, in between the fetid cups of reheated coffee that we enjoyed together in a lonely booth through the wee hours of the morning. I would catch up on my reading, writing in the poetry books with a purple pen, and he would slog away at his never-ending screenplay. Yes, he was one of those boys. But no matter how cringe, seeing him fuck me from behind that mirror, watching him watching me, our eyes locked in our reflection as he drilled into me in absolute silence, is more than enough to make my pussy start dripping right the fuck now. Mission accomplished. As I swan dive further into the fantasy, 
I drop down to my knees. The man groans again as I take him into my mouth with my stroking and my sucking. The real object of my attention, though, is my own breath and the memories of young Alice getting fucked in that coffee shop bathroom. My body is a professional. She knows what to do. I can trust her to use the energies I'm pumping out to drain this strange man dry and leave him with his eyes rolling into the back of his skull. So while I sit on my breath and daydream about Dick, the one inside takes charge. She's the one who can control these men with her hands and her cunt. It only takes a few moments before he's full and clutching at the back of my head with his hands, pounding my face like it's a porno, as all predictable men do. Think the Buddha, it'll all be over soon. I pull back when I feel him reach the edge, jacking at him in a furious rhythm. I decide to flirt with danger, intentionally looking up at him and risking the intimate eye contact. I know all too well that the shape of my almond eyes pointed upwards at a man on the edge can wield enough force to crack the final piece of the shell that surrounds him and spill everything out onto me. Instead of meeting his gaze directly, though, I stare at a broken blood vessel on the bridge of his nose, staying in the land of in-between. He's huffing loudly, and I can see his nostrils flaring in my peripheral vision. With a groan that makes my toes curl against my filthy feet, his cock starts spurting out cum in a wildly erratic pattern. I catch some on my tits and more on my stomach and my neck, dipping and diving like it's a fucking carnival game. To my delight, a few drops end up scattered across the hair that frames my face. My pussy sets off at a record-breaking pace, racing off to Alistair and seeking her true relief. It's been far too long since I've been able to play good girl in the bedroom. There's a surprising amount of force powering her sprint. She's ready to fucking revel. Leaving the man in the bathroom fumbling with his own zipper, I managed to slip out of his life just as quickly as he just desecrated me. While I've pulled the slip back over my head, obscuring at least some of the mess that splattered across my naked form, I am still positively reeking of sex. Coupled with my bare feet, I can guarantee that this walk of shame will be one for the scrapbooks. I could try to cloak myself, but right now I'm a fucking beacon. A lighthouse with every light and all the neon pulsing, look at me, want me, take me. The world can't help but respond. And yes, as I walk, I can feel all the fucking eyes prickling sharp against my skin. I can feel cocks stand at attention as I step past. I can hear conversations going still and silent and then feel the women pulling their husbands closer while they both turn their heads to marvel at my retreating form, unable to resist the intoxicating vision. I retrain my focus on my destination over and over again, reminding myself that the only thing I care about is making it up to that hotel room. My robotic motions subside once I'm safely inside the elevator. I'm finally, blessedly, alone. As the doors close behind me, I can see myself reflected back in that very same mirror. This time my lips are pleasantly plump and swollen. Leaning closer, I see fresh blood pooling in the divot and realize that I must have bitten my lip in my feeding frenzy. Rolling my tongue across it, the metallic taste screams through my entire mouth and wakes my senses to full force in one fell swoop. I roll my shoulders, setting off fireworks through my body. My fingertips and toes suddenly begin buzzing with their very aliveness. 
I praise myself again, this time noting how flushed my cheeks appear. I smile at myself, admiring the effect. Casting my gaze lower, my filthy knees stare back at me, and my smile becomes broader still. Then I note the man's calm, sparkling across me in the light like diamonds, glittering on my shoulders and tits. A glob at my throat shines as brilliantly as a diamond choker. Even my hair is twinkling for the man waiting upstairs. I'm glowing. And that's how I know I've reached the top. It's time. Right on cue, the doors open, and I walk down that hall like a fucking angel of the iridescent fire. Entering our hotel room, I find Alistair in the exact same state I just left him in. His cock purple-headed, his eyes glazed, drunk on the waiting, but somehow still sober. Royal, even. When he opens his mouth to speak, I feel as though I'm being addressed by a king. Were you a good girl, Alice? Of course, Alistair. I'm always a good girl. When I want to be. And I peel off my slip to show him all that I've become. As I untie his wrists, his eyes sparkle as much as I do. He stretches his arms before bending over and reining his mouth across me, sucking off the globes of spattered cum without offering up even a shadow of resistance. He devours the inches of my flesh, pulling at my tits and stretching my arms up above my head, manhandling me in his exaltation. As he works his way down, I can hear him begin to mutter something underneath his breath. I let him have his way with me adding my own brand of lack of resistance to our current custom cocktail. This is the last time, after all. I want it to be exactly what he needs it to be. The muttering rises into mumbling, the garbled words rising up towards me in our steam. I start trying to catch them, latching the stream into my ear and securing my mind onto its frequency until I can make out just enough to understand exactly what he's saying. This bitch will never want me. She will never be happy with me. She's always going to need more and more cocks. That fucking slut. My pathetic cock can't satisfy her. It never has, it never will. She'd spend her whole fucking life cuckolding me. This bitch. She's fucking insatiable. As I listen to the twisted monologue, I can hear my own thoughts rising to the challenge, their voices screaming in the back of my head. But I alone know what's actually happening. Standing in front of the den and above the rising static, I can feel exactly what this man needs from me, what he wants from me. They're finally one and the same. It's at times like this I categorically understand why I am the one to do these things. I was put here for this. Not only do I know the things that need to happen, I'm strong enough to make sure that they do. My ego has no authority here, nor do the things I might see in my own reflections. I am here to chaperone Alistair to his freedom, like Karen pulling his fairy. No more and no less. There are times in our life when we must speak our truth, whatever the consequences. But other times our silence or affirmations allow for a different manifestation of truth. Beyond words... These gifts can only be used at the proper times, as truth desires. And I know that in this moment there is no room for any form of my own truth-telling. 
those things exist only in my mind and are neither here nor there in comparison to the real truth of this moment. That I will always choose to do right by this man slobbering like a dog between my legs. He's been tangled in my loom and woven through my fabric for exactly as long as he should have been. And now we've reached the point in the game where we finish up the pattern and tie it off, cutting the thread. It's time to set Alistair free. I need to say yes. So I put a stop to all of my own desires and muffle that voice in my head that's screaming, maybe I could want to be with you. Maybe we could make this work. Maybe we could do this thing we do for always. But even as the words smash uselessly against the wall I've placed between their launch pad and my own vocal cords, I know that they tell me lies. I will never be able to trust anyone enough to share my life with them again, even if they promised it would be different. I choose to be alone because that's the only way I will be safe. So we might as well cut this fucking cord in a way that suits Alistair's preference. Everything else in the game has been about him. Let's hold our form true until the very end. Game on, bitch. You're absolutely right, Alistair. You will never be enough for me. You will always come in last place. You'd never be able to handle all of me or be competent enough to satisfy my endless fucking needs. As a matter of fact, I'm fucking bored to tears right now. So why don't you jack that little cock of yours while you tell me how much you loved sucking this stranger's cum off my tits? Because Buddha fucking knows it's true. I can already see how disturbingly horny it's gotten you. Look at that tiny little cock all throbbing and twitching. My fucking sick little pet. You know why you stroke him? I'll let you in on a secret. All along, I've been watching waiting to see when you'd finally become tiresome. Because I knew what would happen. I know you, Alistair. And oh my God, are you fucking tiresome now? Are you trying to be a colossal bore and a waste of my time all at once? Because if that's the effect you're going for, you have hit it right on the money. Slow claps indeed. Initially, he startled by my reply, surprised with such a venomous direct response to what he thought was his own internal monologue. I don't think he knew it was draining so freely from those loose lips of his. But once that first spark of panic flashed behind his eyes, I can see Alistair freeze the time around himself, holding perfectly still and allowing my words to continue washing over him, to stay the course long enough for them to soak their way into his soul. I can feel the desperation as his energy pulls at me, begging for severance of the ties that bind us. His eyes beseech me with their silent screaming as they drink in the vibrations of these caustic words pouring forth from my lips. He wants me to cut off his head so he can be free. It's not that he doesn't want me. He does, at least on some level, but he's afraid. Afraid of what we could be and afraid of what we are not of what he is not, and he'll never stop being afraid for long enough to perform this final act of valor. So we'll stay in this stasis, playing this now pointless game, forever. I have no choice. I will do this for him and for whoever he's meant to become. So I untangle him from me and take his cock and wrap his hand tightly around it. 
Then I step back and begin to stroke my own clit. And we sit there face to face. He on the bedspread with his purple dick in his fist. And I across the room from him, one leg propped on a chair and a finger lodged deep in my sloppy cunt. Stroke it for me, Alistair, you pathetic little bitch. Let me watch you jack off that little cock of yours. He doesn't deserve to touch me right now. In fact, you don't deserve to touch this immaculate cunt with any part of your wretched form. At my command, he obediently begins working at himself with fury, his eyes bulging with the strain. The muscles in his arms swell and his veins pulls down his wrists and hands. I watch as his face turns scarlet. He never shifts his eyes from mine and I never waver from his. Tell me, Alistair. I want to hear you say it. You'll never be enough for this cunt. I'll never be enough for that cunt. You aren't even fit to suck the cum out of my used and abused pussy or off my filthy tits, are you, bitch? No, mistress, I don't deserve them. We certainly proved something today, didn't we, bitch? It only took two fucking minutes for me to turn myself into a cesspool of some other dick's jizz. I'm fucking done, Alistair. So why don't you come for me one last time? Show me in the end, how worthless you really are. It's ripping my soul to pieces, saying words like these to this man I've grown to love. The sharp stabbing of shrapnel against my heart, my gut, and my cunt all at once. But I'm also bathed in a wash of honor, the act serving as a harakiri of sorts. This man has a new, beautifully authentic life waiting for him on the other side. It's time to spread my own wings and fly away. It looks like it was never about Alistair leaving the nest after all. It was always about me leaving my baby bird behind. I move us forward in time now, mimicking his own rhythm on my clit, feeling her sopping wet against my fingers and my palm. Kneeling on the bed now, I hold my pussy right above his cock. So close I can feel them breathing on each other. They're desperate to communicate. They're crying, echoing across the chasm that lies between us. Alistair is ready to burst. I can feel the tension of the impending moment pumping away deep below the city streets of his skin like a jackhammer. Still staring into those eyes of his that will become a memory now. I lean forward and put my mouth as close to his own as our cunt and cock are stationed below both now breathing into each other's space. I turn my head, sliding my cheek against his until my mouth finds his earlobe. At that exact moment, I allow my pussy to graze against the tip of his trembling cock. When I reach my hand down to unlatch his cock ring, time stands still again, as it always faithfully does when the moment finally arrives. I already knew in my heart and my mind and my soul and my cunt that this was my fucking moment. And now that it's upon us, I finally know what happens next. I'm not afraid. I have no remorse. Without hesitation, I cut Alistair's head 
right the fuck off. You will never be enough for me, bitch. And then I unlatch him, setting him free. He explodes with a groaning, whining squeal that sounds like a pig being slaughtered. As the inhuman noise emits from his gaping mouth, his head slams back with the force of his orgasm and he spurts all over himself. In the dim light, I can see cum splattering across his chest and his neck. Avoiding the spray as he spasms against the bed, I seize the opportunity to fetch my slip and stuff it into my bag and dress myself in a button-down of Alistair's that he's left lying on the nearby chair. It's long enough to work as a dress. A pale blue one that he wore on the plane. It still smells of his cologne. Slipping on my sandals and disappearing out the door, I don't spare a single glance on the sputtering man who quakes on the bed. Not one look for the man that a piece of me had begun to love. The student is now his own master, and there's no going back from there. You can never regret the Molotov cocktail that you just threw behind you. After all, mangled bodies are evidence until they're burned to smoke and ashes. In the elevator alone again, I take stock of myself in its mirrors one last time. Gathering my hair into a fresh top knot, I pull a belt from my bag and smear some lipstick across my bruised and swollen lips. I dare say that I look almost fashionable once I've tied the leather braid around my waist and flipped the shirt's French cuffs and popped its collar. In the lobby, I open my phone to call Reg, who's over the moon to hear me take him up on his offer to stay just a little bit longer. I promise him that I'll be waiting on the corner for his driver. It's just the excuse I needed to leave the confines of this now oppressive hotel. I block Alistair's number as I walk through the revolving glass doors. I block his email once I reach the corner. And then I cancel my return flight home. Even today, I can still feel that wind whipping across my bare legs as I stood there. The backlight of my screen blinding me to everything that surrounded me in the faded light of this fateful day. Those gusts sent a chill down my spine and into the earth, on their way lighting an icy blue flame at the base of the rivulets that had seeped their way down my legs, dripping out from my exposed pussy. That flame followed the trail straight back up into the depths of my cunt, setting off waves of melancholy that coursed their way through my abdomen. After I'd clicked the final buttons and tied up the last of my loose ends, I placed my phone back inside of my bag and turned my attention towards the bustling city streets. Life was moving on. For everyone. Not one person noticed me standing so motionless on the corner. Nor did any notice the wreckage from which I had fled. It was a clean break in every sense of the word. In my newly blessed invisibility, as I waited for Reg's driver to appear on the crest of the hill and for that deep pulse that Reg awakens within me to begin its heady roll once again, another kind of silence descended upon me. These days I know it well. It's freedom from the weight of unfinished business, and the world is light once more.